Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. This morning, as we are diving into the book of Jonah again, we will be specifically wading through chapter number three. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, Jonah chapter number three is what we'll be focusing on uh, this morning. As we, we've talked about, even that video I felt was just so appropriate to how, especially how chapter 3 starts of the book of Jonah and the way that it depicts it there on the screen. I, I was thinking about this. Some of you can relate, I'm sure. I remember when um, one of my children uh, w- first got their permit to drive and uh, were needing to practice. Anybody been there, right? And I won't mention any names, but she is my oldest, and she has two of my granddaughters. So anyway, but that's a whole other story. But she, when she learned how to drive, she came home, got her permit, is all excited, needed to practice. Well, that's, that's what you do, right? You, you, you go out and you practice with your kids. And I got in the car, I strapped in, and I'll never forget that ride. And coming home, and what I did is I opened the car door when we got home, and I laid on the ground and kissed the ground like, I'm so glad I'm still alive, right? And you can ask her, that's a good, that's the honest truth, because it's just, that you that's how Jonah felt. Think about this, guys. That whenever, if you were here last week, we saw just a little picture of, of what Jonah would have experienced inside the, the belly of that fish. The, the atmosphere and the things he would have felt and touched and straining for breath and, and the, 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 the darkness and the smell that would have been in, in, involved in all of that. And then don't forget also that this, was, this fish was doing this kind of, just think about seasickness. I mean, of all those things you can imagine. So when Jonah gets projectiled onto the, to the seashore, right? Finally, and he's on, and he's going, I, I made it. I'm still alive. I mean, I can, and you can just kind of sense the, that that's where we find Jonah in the, in the place that we're going to be today. Those words that you saw on the screen, go and mercy and compassion, th- those words all weave their way through the, the message of chapter number three that we're going to be discussing. And, and that's what I want us to get to it because chapter three, if we were to kind of give it an idea, a flow of what it is, it's about how to recover after you fail, how, how to recover after you fail, or how to be restored whenever in your life you took a, you know, you took a severe left and, and you, you went the place you shouldn't go, how, how do you get back to where you need to be? There, there's places in our lives where we've, we've experienced that kind of, that kind of, that kind of possibility. We, what we'll discover in chapter 3 is, is mercy and hope. And especially when we, we know we really don't deserve this. We, we deserve just to be left alone, and yet God still shows us some kind of, how does that work? Where does that look like in our lives? Whether it's been because of something we've come across or something that has happened to us, it, what Jonah realizes is that God's not done with me yet. In fact, I'd like you to say that, those, that phrase with me. Would you please? God's not done with me yet. Do you recognize the fact that because you're here breathing today, God's not done with you yet? There's a reason why you are where you are. There, what Jonah chapter 3 does is it re- renews purpose. It renews meaning. It takes a guy who, who went off and, and, and literally the deep end and now is God is, that's, that's hope. Some in this room perhaps have experienced that idea and maybe you've made a mess of things. Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it was recent. And you still can't quite get past that. It just seems like that I, I don't deserve any forgiveness. I don't deserve what that, that kind of, understand, chapter 3 of Jonah is talking to us today. Or, or maybe you've come to that, maybe the, you've experienced forgiveness, but you don't know that you're ever going to be able to re-engage. You struggle with that because it just, I've, I've gone too far. I'm, I'm basically disqualified. Jonah chapter number 3 talks to us about those kind of things. It's, it's hope and mercy that comes to a, 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 very, uh, a very important time in, in Jonah's life. When we talk about this, the one word that's going to come up again in this particular chapter in my mind is the word overboard that we've talked about from our, our particular series. Remember, Jonah goes overboard. Chapter one, they actually threw him overboard. So that's the picture. But this overboard, what we've seen in this book is that God over and over again does things in an extreme way, an overboard fashion. He does things that are just, not just does it, but he, throughout the book he uses these words that just show this was, this was over the top kind of illustrations. 
very first chapter, there was an extremely large city called Nineveh. There is an extremely strong wind that comes that creates an extremely violent storm. And then, of course, the end of chapter 1 talks about an extremely large fish that swallows Jonah. That's the way the pattern of this book is. Things are done to the extreme, and this chapter just goes right along with what we're going to see, what God does to the extreme. So what we find at the end of chapter 2, where we left off last Sunday, is another one of those unique situations that Jonah finds himself in. And I read it again. Chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And so ends chapter number 2. And, and this, I just found, was downstairs. I love this, this picture, but that's the last time we see that guy. You understand what I'm saying? Chapter 2, verse 10, because remember, the story of Jonah is not about a fish. It's not even really about Jonah. The story of of Jonah is about what God does in the life of of his prophet and in the lives of some other people. It's it's about God himself. So from here on, we we don't even hear anymore about the fish. So what we have is we have Jonah having been projectile vomited out onto the, remember, from the sea to the land. What a sight that must have been. And I find himself on dry land. You can picture he's probably, you know, somewhat bleached skin and uh, from the acids in, in the stomach, he's got some kind of seaweed and other stuff wrapped around him and he smells like rotten fish. You really can't get any more humiliated than that. I mean, he's in a position at the lowest of the low from where he has been. He's alive, but that's about the lowest point you could be. And that's where chapter 3 begins. And and here's what it says. Chapter 3 and verse number 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. As we walk through chapter 3, I'm going to use three words to kind of describe the journey we're going to take today. All right? The words are a mulligan, a message, and the mercy of God. Now, I don't often like to use words like that. They seem a little cheesy to me, but I couldn't find much better way to describe what we're going to see today because those words seem to encapsulate what we're going to look at. Let me start with that first one. The mulligans, all right? And if you don't know what a mulligan is, all right, then that means you've probably never been golfing, or at least you've never been golfing with me and the people that taught me how to golf, okay? Mulligan is not an official part of the golf game. Not, it's not the professional way. You're not going to see this on the PGA Tour, but for us amateurs that when we're golfing and you hit an exceptionally bad shot, if the other people in your group agree with it, you can take another ball, drop it from where you are, and you take another shot, trying hopefully to get a better, a better lie the next time, right? That's called a, a mulligan, all right? A, it, you might know it as the word of a do-over, you know, to, to redo. It means a second chance. It means take two. Okay, what we're, what we're seeing, and look how chapter 3 begins with that picture. I read it again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and say those last three words with me, a second time. Jonah gets a mulligan. Jonah gets a redo. God comes to him and says, we're going to try this again. And, and that's, that's a, to me, this is one of the most encouraging uh, sentences in all of the scripture, when you think about the implications of this guy and all that he has done and all the drama that he has caused, and he ran from God, and he's gone through storms and all this, God trying to get his attention, and he just seems to be this stubborn, obstinate prophet, and yet God still gives him a a redo. And, and it's an amazing, amazing picture in my mind because when, when I think of the fact that we've said before that I am Jonah, there's so much about this book that we can personally relate to. That's one of the things that, that I can relate to. In my life, God has given me a, a mulligan. Okay, let's be honest. The reason I put the S up there, one of the reasons, mulligans, is because I haven't had just one mulligan in my life. Can anybody else relate? If, if I only had one mulligan, that's one thing, and that's, that's more than I deserve. But I've had multiples. I've got golf balls all over the place from, from times that God has given me another chance to try it again. To, let's, let's start this over again. Anybody, a witness, you understand what I'm saying? This, is, this relates to us because we understand the, the mercy of God that gives these kind, of, these kind of opportunities. So let's see how this continues. We'll read it again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and here's what God said. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. All right, so let's talk about what this means, that Jonah gets 
another shot, a second chance, a, a do-over, if you would. And God starts this over in his life and how that can, here's some things you can learn about God because of it. Number one is this, God doesn't hold a grudge. It's interesting when if someone else does something to us and we say forgive them, okay, it's done, but we just often have that tendency to bring that back up again. We're, we're very, we, we, be, we tend to be good at history whenever it comes to a time. Well, remember, you blew it the last time. Let's not do that. And we, we, we kind of push that back in the people's face. What we see in God is God's going to call him again to do what he called him to do the first time. And, and it, God says, listen, let's just let's try this again. God doesn't hold a grudge. Let me give you another thought. God does not negotiate his plan. Now, this is what's interesting. I can't prove geographically specific because the Bible doesn't say, but we get the impression, it's very possible, that Jonah is right here. He's at Joppa again, the same place he was when he started this whole drama and took the boat. It's, it's very possible he's at the very place where this whole thing, this whole drama started. He got, because when God called him, he ran to Joppa to get on a ship going to Tarsus. It's very possible that this this fish puts him out on the same place where he left right back at, at Joppa. I mean, this is literally, like Yogi Berra used to say, it's deja vu all over again, right? He, I've been here before. I've seen this before. I, I've heard this before. This is, I've heard God actually say very similar, similar words to us. Let me throw something out to you just, just for your, maybe your note's sake. What we do know is wherever the fish uh, pukes him back out again, it's still a long way from Nineveh. Even if he wasn't at Joppa, the closest seaport on that sea from there to Nineveh is well over 300 miles. So regardless of where he is, from wherever that fish puts him out on the sea. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if the fish got him from, that's kind of the picture sometimes I see, is that Jonah comes out, he's all be, be, you know, tattered and all that kind of stuff, and he walks right into the city looking like that. Well, that, if, if that fish puked him from the sea 500 miles, now that's a miracle in itself. We're talking rocket propulsion. What we know is from wherever, got, wherever that fish put, put him out, he still had a journey to go to. And chances are by the time he got there, 300, 500 miles, he'd put on new clothes and he'd probably taken a bath. Things were different. But here was a journey, but it starts probably right back where he started before. Here's what I want us to understand. God has a a plan for us, and God has a design, and, and whenever we blow it, that doesn't negate the whole plan. Oh, well, we blew it, we're gonna, th then there's, this is never going to happen. God's still working, and he still has a plan for your life. And, and the phrase that I want you to grab is this, God will often take you right back to the place where you said no until you say yes. And that may be a repeated cycle. That he wants to teach you something. He he's got something for you to do. And you say no. Well, that doesn't blow everything in God's mind. But he's going to bring you back around. And you say, maybe, I, maybe Jonah's going, whoo, I think I got out of Nineveh, right? And what's the first words out of God's mouth? Great, you're alive now. Let's, let's start where we go back to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, right? He takes us back to the place we said no until we say yes. You, you see it several times in Scripture. A guy named Peter in the New Testament comes to mind. Peter, if, if you know the story, when Jesus was about to be, uh, was, was being on trial, Peter had a, a, an opportunity and he denied Jesus three times. Well, when Jesus comes back to, after his resurrection, he meets with Peter and, and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him that question three times. He takes him right back to where he was and starts it over again. There's an Old Testament picture of the children of Israel that came out of Egypt and they were headed to their promised land and God had all this in mind and they take this journey to, it takes them about a year to get to this place called Kadesh Barnea and there is where they, they're going to set up camp, they're going to go in and figure out how they're going to take and they're going to go do what God has called them to do and they send spies in and come back and say they're too big, we can't do this, no we don't want to do what God called us to do. So what happens? God says, well, so much for that. That was a nice try. We'll never do it again. No. In, in 40 years, after they circled the, 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 the wilderness 40 years, and many of them had died, they come back to Kadesh Barnea, and God says, all right, let's try this again. And that time, they go into the promised land. You see, you see that pattern over and over. God has a plan. He has designed for you something he wants you to do or something he's wanting to, to teach you and all that. And, and we, we kind of fight it. We struggle with it. We're Jonah. We do that a lot of times. And so it's not as if God says, well, that'll never work. He takes us, and maybe it's 40 years. Maybe it's in the belly of a fish, whatever it takes. But he comes back, and now he says, all right, let's try this again. Here's still what I'm trying to teach you. Here's still what I want to do with your life. 
Let's, let's see how, what we do with it this time. That's what he does to Jonah. He takes him back to that very place. I, I know you've experienced it. I know I have. Something God wanted me to learn. I didn't do too well the first time. And so I, kind of, I think, well, maybe I, I won't have to worry about it. And then it just never fails. I come back to similar situations because God's still saying, I'm not done with you. I still want you to get this. So, third thing kind of relates to that in my mind is God doesn't give up on his will. In Jonah's life, but also if you remember from the very first verses of Jonah, we learned that God, for some reason, and it was something that was very odd to the prophet and was odd to probably most people and even maybe to us, for some reason, God wanted the people of Nineveh to hear, this, to hear about him, wanted them to hear a message from him. These people of Nineveh that were so wicked, nobody liked them in Jonah's surroundings. And the, the Jews hated them. They were arch enemies. Jonah didn't want to go there. And yet God has this plan in mind for them. And so what we see in chapter 3 is actually Operation Nineveh, take 2. It's Operation Nineveh redo, right? It's a matter of the still the plan or the will is still to get the message to these people of Nineveh. Now my question is, so why didn't you choose a different prophet, God? I mean, obviously Jonah doesn't want to go. Jonah doesn't like this plan. Jonah doesn't understand why you would want. So Jonah's been, you've been fighting Jonah these, all this, this time, and you had to make a fish and all this. Why, why not choose another prophet? And here's what I, I want you to see. The, the hope in all of this is not only was God working to get the message to Nineveh, He's working in his prophet Jonah. There's something about Jonah that he knows still needs to be changed. And we know it's going to take even, we, we don't even know if it ever gets fixed the way the book ends, but we know that God's going to address his issues because Jonah still doesn't like the, the Ninevites. He doesn't like the Assyrians. Jonah still doesn't want to, we know that this is still happening and God's going to address this. God's not just working for Nineveh. He's also working in Jonah. So this is still, even just doing what God has called is a part of doing what God, God's will in Jonah's life and God's will in the Ninevites' life. God is not just, is, is more worried about the people in this story than he is the task. Task was go to Nineveh, but the reason was because of the people that are there. And the reason he sent Jonah is because what he was wanting to do in Jonah's life and trying to prepare him for that. God's got a plan for you. God's got a will for you. God has got a design, and you're, you're struggling with it. Understand this. God's plan is not going to be disturbed by our problems and our stubbornness and our rebellion. God's still going to work on you and work on the people around you and work on that because he loves you, and he loves what he's doing in your life and what he wants to do in the other's that's, that's what God just doesn't give up on his, on his will. And the last thought I want you to grab just from this, this opening thing is that obedience is always the next step. You see, we, what we find here, it's very it's great. God, God calls and Jonah says yes. In fact, we read it in verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Sad thing is, he should have done that the first time. God's people, you got to get this. You're a follower of God. The only right answer when God calls is yes. No, wait, I'm not sure, give me a few minutes. None of that's the right answer. When God calls, when God gives you a direction, the right answer is always yes. Well, Jonah doesn't, get that answer, doesn't give that answer the first time. This time he does. Sometimes we struggle a little with obedience because we think, well, that just sounds so you know, non-relationship. But the truth is, Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commands. There is relationship. God knows what's best for us, and so we've got to trust him enough to do what he says. But the answer is always yes. My answer is always, this is what God designs. This is what God wants to change. It's a matter of, of doing it. Just do what God called you to do is what Jonah has to learn, and that's his first step. But there's another reason why I put the S under mulligan for this week, and that is Jonah is not the only one in this story who gets a second chance, a redo. There is this whole city, this whole, the capital city of this wicked people, the Ninevites, and Jonah was a stubborn prophet, didn't deserve a second chance, but the city of Nineveh, by pretty much even historian standards, deserved whatever they're going to get. They were just, they were vicious, wicked people. We've talked about that a little bit. And so yet, what God still has an interest in getting them a message. And so what does he do? Whether they deserve it by our opinion or not, God is going to give them a, a chance to hear the message. Look how God describes this city in this book. Verse 3 again, now Nineveh was very large, and your, your translation could say exceeding great city. It took three days to go through it. 
Obviously, it's describing how large this, this town is. It, basically, we, we find from history there was a, there was a, a city, like the, the metro, metropolitan area surrounded by walls, but then it just kind of spread out. There was many, many areas, suburbs, if you would, around the city. So much so that to go from one side to the other would take three days to walk through. It's a large city. It reminds me of if you've ever been to New York City in that area. You've got, you've got Manhattan, but you've also got Bronx and Queens and Brooklyn and Staten Island. That's all New York City, and, the, and it just kind of keeps spreading out, and there's just people everywhere, right? That's kind of what you, the picture I have of, of Nineveh. Is it this, this huge, vast city, that's what that's talking about. But the words exceeding great or very large... There's an interesting word play there. And I've shared with you that throughout the book of Jonah, God has, has led him to use several different words kind of to give these, lit- these literary pictures. Exceeding is an interesting word. It's not used any other place in the book with this word great. But it, it is used elsewhere in the book. It's used in chapters, pretty much in every chapter of the book. It's actually the word in Hebrew that we would pronounce Elohim. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but Elohim is actually one of the words we use for God. It's one of the names of God. But it's also a word just used for, for, for gods in general or divine beings, right? So what, one way you could read this is this was such a big city, it was a godlike city. It was so big, it was like, you know, supernatural in size, at least from a human perspective. But some people have translated this to mean, that phrase, that this city was a city that was great to God. In other words, the, the, the idea may be that even though Jonah didn't like the city, he definitely didn't like the people in the city, that God cared about this city. It was a great city to God. It was a city in which God had interest in. And what he tells Jonah is, you're, you're, to, you're to go and to, pre- this, is, this is a city that God cares about. And even, this, even despite the fact of who they were and what they have done, God still sees this as a, a, a city that matters, as a group of people that matter. And he tells Jonah to go to obey. But here's what you got to remember. Jonah does obey, but even in his obedience, he does it under protest. We're going to find that out as we go in the, ne- the next chapter. He still doesn't like the Assyrians. He still, it's such an interesting thing that God is going to use a prophet who doesn't even want to do what he's been called to do and doesn't even like the people he's going to do it, and God's still going to use him because obedience is always, is always the right answer in our, in our lives. So, which leads us to this next word that we're looking at, not only the mulligans, but the message. Here's what God told Jonah. He said, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I've given to you. Now, of course, we've heard similar words to that. That's something that we, if we go back to chapter 1, verse number 2, this is what we remember from the first week that we studied. It said that uh, he told Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach or proclaim or cry out against it. It's the same word so far. It's pretty much the same in chapter 1 and chapter number 3. But in chapter number 1, he says, and this is the reason, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, the difference is in chapter 3, he says this, go and preach, but do it proclaiming the message that I give you. Simply stated, he said, Jonah, take two, mulligan, we're going to do this again, and when you go, I just want you to tell them what I tell you to tell them. I don't want you to say anything else other than what I share with you to tell them. Just give them the message that I give to you. There's a reason, there's the words that I want to use And just tell them what I tell you. So verse number four, here was the message. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. And here's what he proclaimed. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And as far as we know, that's all that he preached. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And he walked through the city. He got to the middle of the city. He started and he began proclaiming this. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In English, that's eight words. In Hebrew, it's only five words. I mean, this is, a, this is an amazingly short, sweet message. I, I don't know of another preacher in the world that's ever preached a message that short, especially repeat. And I know some of you are wishing that I would take that hint, but I probably won't. Eight words. Can you imagine? That's all he said. Forty more days and Nineveh 
will be overthrown. Why those words? Because that's what God told him to say. His, his command was just go and give the message that I give to you, and it happened to be this. Now, here's what I get the impression that uh, not only was this not flashy, there wasn't, anything, you know, there wasn't any special effects, there was no video clips, nothing, it was just these eight words. But I also get the impression that Jonah probably said these words with a little smirk on his face, kind of a little glint in his eye, like, finally, I get to proclaim judgment on these nasty people, right? 40 more days and you guys are going down. I mean, that's kind of the feel that you get when you hear from Jonah's perspective because we're going to find out he still doesn't like these people. And he's given this. So Jonah is speaking this message. It's a short message. It's not a flashy message. It's not even a very hopeful message. It's not a love-filled message. God is love and he cares about you and has a plan. We don't hear any of that. We just hear judgment. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was God's words to Jonah to speak to these people. But what we're going to find out is those eight simple words brought one of the greatest, if perhaps not the greatest, revival ever recorded in history. As Jonah preaches to this city, those four, those, those eight, excuse me, simple words, God begins to do something, something amazing. Now, even though Jonah probably was saying this with kind of judgment in his voice, there is a possibility, and I, I just throw this out, there's just a possibility that maybe what they heard maybe came across a little differently in their, in their ideas. That last word, overthrown, the word overthrown could mean what we think. Some uh, kingdom's going to come in and take over. You're going to be overthrown. You're going to be destroyed. But the word overthrown, by definition, actually means to be transformed, to be changed. So if a government did come in and overthrow, there would be actual change. So it fits. But let's see if you're hearing this message and you know who you are and you know what you've done and you really don't think there's any hope that God even cares and you hear that word that maybe there's, maybe, maybe there's just that glint of, you think really we could change? You really think transformation is possible? Do you really, I, I thought we've gone too far and maybe, there's a, maybe in their ears they're hanging. I don't know. I just know God said, here's the eight words to say and Jonah said it and look what happens. The very next verse says, verse number five, the Ninevites believed God. They didn't believe Jonah. Isn't that interesting? They weren't believing what Jonah said. They were taking it right to the source itself and they believed God they put their faith in what he had said, and then the, the, it goes on to say, and a fast was proclaimed. They stopped eating. They said, we're not going to eat anymore, and here's what it says. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat down in the dust. You talk about overboard. It says from the greatest, which that's one of our words for extreme. So that means from the, the greatest to the most important person that they know to the least to the ones that weren't considered. Everyone in the city, the best we can understand, the whole city, 600,000 to a million people probably in this city, that many, all of them, by this description, all of them put on sackcloth. In case you're not familiar what sackcloth is, uh, when I grew up, we called them gunny sacks, Right? They're just stuff that feed and stuff comes in. You know, they, now burlap is the other word for it. Now that's almost a fashion statement, okay? He wasn't talking about wrapping it and putting a nice belt around it. I mean, that wasn't, it wasn't a fashion statement. This was, this was a symbol of humility. It was a symbol when you were, in, you were in absolute mourning. It says the whole city, from the greatest to the least, it says the king and all of his nobles, all of everyone, and the nobles is another word for great, all of them, they, they put on this sackcloth and they sat in the dirt. They humbled themselves. They realized what God is saying. Forty more days, Nineveh will be destroyed. There is a change coming. And they, they, they completely, everyone, they, they, they proclaimed a fast. This is extreme mourning. And the verse goes on today, verse 7. And this is the proclamation that the king issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. They, they proclaimed a complete, absolute fast. For the next 40 days, because God said in 40 days, and it's done. They can play a complete fast. And he said, and, and, but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. They didn't, not just themselves, they covered all their livestock, their, their cows, their sheep, their livestock with this burlap. And think about that. I mean, 
Okay, let's just try to, a word picture. Why was that important? Complete mourning. What do the animals have to do with this? This is just a thought. But what happens when cows and sheep get hungry? Moo. Bah. Moo. Bah. So if you're going all over the city and all their herds and livestock, and after a few days, everyone's hungry, including the sheep. And, the, and so all over the city, not only the people crying out, the animals are moaning and groaning. I mean, they're, they're saying, we want everyone to feel that this hurts. This is mourning. This is repentance. This is, we, we, do you understand the picture that Jonah paints here of all the things that, that are happening? And then he goes on to say, and let everyone call urgently on God. That word urgently is another one of those extreme words. It's intensity. And he said, everyone do whatever it takes. Pull out all the stops. Call urgently. But I want you to see, he didn't say on your gods. Man, I find this so significant in the book of Jonah. It it happened in the first chapter. Those pagan sailors that Jonah was with, well, when it first started storming, they all started calling out to their gods and their idols, and they pulled them out, oh, please deliver us. But when they saw God and they saw Jonah and they saw the storm stop when they threw Jonah in, the next verse says they didn't call out to their gods. They prayed to God and they sacrificed to God. They turned their hearts to follow him. He doesn't, the king here, he's an idol worshiper like all the rest of them. At this point, he's saying, we're not calling out on the gods. We won't believe there's any such thing we're calling out call urgently on God do whatever you can to get God's attention he says let them but he didn't even stop there he says and let them give up their evil ways their violence no don't just call out to God we're not saying oh God please don't kill us they're saying and we're going to turn our way we're going to return from where we're going and do something different and he says and maybe who knows God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. They didn't assume upon God's mercy, but they said it's possible. If we will turn our hearts to follow God, we repent with, with whatever we, calling urgently on God, maybe God will, will deliver us. Folks, if you've been along this journey, we talked about the first week, some themes that we see weave through Jonah. One of them is that God pursues sinners of all kinds. So whether you're a Nineveh type sinner, you know, everybody knows you're a sinner, you're just, or you're a prophet type sinner, we're still sinners, both of us, and God goes looking for all kinds, whatever sinner we would call them, God pursues them, came after Jonah, coming after the city of Nineveh, he, he comes after sinners, but here's something else that this chapter begins to explain to us even deeper, is that God chooses to use people to do his work. In this story, there's a city of Nineveh who needs God. But in order for that city to change, God's going to use a man to precipitate God's message, to make sure that they hear it. God could have done anything, and he, he has his ability to use whatever resources he wants, and he chooses a man to, make, to do his work to make a difference in the lives of Nineveh. And, and that's where I want us to focus on the next couple of minutes. We talk about the message. Do you realize if you're a follower of Christ today, you, you know that Christ has saved you and you, you know that you're one of his. I, I want to leave you with this challenge that you too have a message, that God wants to use you to make a difference in other people's lives. That your purpose in life is not just to exist and to, to be happier, to be more fulfilled in your life. God has a mission for you, and that's going to be making a difference in other people's lives. It's going to be sharing a message with others so they too can turn and follow Jesus Christ. In religious terms, we call this the word evangelism. We call this taking what we have learned, sharing it with others, pointing them to Jesus so they too can follow him. And, and for some, evangelism is a, oh, that's a scary word. For, uh, if you've, been in, you've not been in church a lot and you hear that word, you think, yeah, that's what those Christians do. They're always trying to convert me, right? Or let me just remind you that all the Christians, most of them are pretty uncomfortable with that word too. Most of us as Christians, that word scares us to death. For whatever reason, most of us are, we, we know we have Christ and we, we know we have a great message, but we're, maybe it's the social etiquette or whatever it is. We don't want to bother people. We're not, we're not comfortable with what needs to be said, and so we stop short of actually sharing that message with someone else. Jonah gives us an, an understanding that God's got a message, that he needs people who need Jesus to hear or needs him to hear, and he wants to use you 
to share that message. That's what I want you to grab today. You say, but I'm, man, that's scary for me. That's very uncomfortable. How do I do that? How, I, I don't feel comfortable with that at all. Let me share with you two things Jonah did that can help you with this. Go out with this attitude that Jonah had. Number one, Jonah realized something. Salvation is uh, from the Lord. He, he made that statement. In fact, that's where we found him last week. He made that actual statement in chapter two. This is the... Why I think this is significant, this is the last words we hear Jonah say while he's still in the fish's belly. This is the, the, how he wraps it up. Uh, when, when he says in chapter 2 in verse number 9, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, he says, I will sacrifice to you, God, what I have vowed I will make good, and I will say, and here's what he says, salvation comes from the Lord. His last words, and he again, he didn't know if he was ever going to get out of that fish's belly at that point or not, but the last thing he says is salvation is from the Lord. Now that means a lot to him personally because he knows God delivers him. He, there's no other chance he had but God. But what he's saying and now, what, what we're going to see as you go into this next chapter, God uses that statement to show that not only does Jonah need to know that, but the people in Nineveh need to know that. That salvation is of the Lord. That there is hope that it comes from the Lord. And he's going to use Jonah to get that message. Jonah has said it. Salvation is from the Lord. But what does that mean? That means that God still wants to save people. God still wants to deliver sinners. He still wants to deliver the wicked. He still wants people to know him. He still, in our vernacular, wants people to know Jesus and to live a new life. and to have. A, he, he's still into that. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's God's plan, is to bring salvation to people. But as a follower of Christ, why i got to remember that is salvation doesn't come because I convince someone to follow the Lord. Evangelism is not about me having all the right answers, saying it just the right way so that someone is, oh, I get it, and thank you for for saving me. I've I've had people say that just with a slip of the tongue, thank you for saving me, And and you quickly remind them, it wasn't me, nothing that I do at all. And sometimes when we're talking to people, we're afraid. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I, do you realize that, with, that the salvation was eight words? In 40 days from now, Nineveh is overthrown, and the whole city turns around to follow God. Now, that's a pretty powerful message. It wasn't Jonah. Jonah didn't even want to be there. It wasn't because Jonah was that eloquent. He just gave the words that God said, and God changed their lives. And that's what I want to remind you as a follower of Christ. Salvation is not of you at all. But God wants to use you to share that message. God has called you to help others follow him. But then you come down to it and and you, you have to realize that it doesn't come from you. There's nothing that you do to save anyone else. And so we have to relax a bit and say, it's not about if I say all the right words. It's that God's got a plan for me to use me to point people to to him, to to himself. And so it's just being willing to let God use us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, just reminded, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now we know that as salvation doesn't come from us. But also when, we, when we're telling someone, remember that. It's not of any works that we do or it's not because we said it the right way. This is a gift that God gives. All of this is in God's court. He's just using us to be his instrument to get the message to others. And so it's, not, it's salvation comes from God. It's not about what history tells us, archaeology has discovered that in Nineveh, from best they can tell, around this period of time that Jonah would have been there, the city of Nineveh suffered numerous plagues. They had numerous crazy earthquakes. They even had a total sun, solar eclipse, which... In our days, we're all like, oh, get out the telescope. In those days, they thought the world was ending, right? So they had all of these crazy things going on right about the time. Do you think maybe God had the message for them because he'd already been preparing their hearts? And he'd already been putting things in place so that when they hear judgments coming and they did two plus two equals God's about to kill us, right? And they turned to God in repentance. Jonah didn't do all of that. Jonah had nothing to do with any of that. Jonah was just simply the messenger that God uses. And God wants to do the same with you. Salvation's not from you. Salvation is from the Lord. But he wants you to be the instrument to take that message to others. Which is the second thing to remember from Jonah. And that is belief comes from hearing the word of God. Remember, it was just a five word in the Hebrew message, an eight word in English. It wasn't anything spectacular. It didn't seem to be. And yet the words jumped out of his mouth into a way that changed their lives. 
Why? Because that was the message God told Jonah to speak. It wasn't Jonah's words that saved them. It was God's words that he used to touch their hearts. And that's what I remember. Remember, salvation is from the Lord. God wants to use you, so God wants to use his word. The only way that people are, lives are going to be changed is when the word of God comes, and because God promises his word will not return void. When that word, it's called the light. The word is called the seed. The word is called the water. All these things, that's what God wants to do, but God wants you to take that word. Here's what we know in Romans chapter number 10. Paul said, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. You have a friend, a loved one that needs Christ. It's not about you convincing them. It's not, a, it's not about you got a skeptic that needs to be convinced. Or it's not about a bad person that needs to be made good. What you're dealing with with someone without Christ, is you're dealing with a dead person that needs life. And you can't do that. Only God can bring life. So the, and the way that he brings life is through his word, through his message. So God, here's what God is saying. Salvation comes from him. Recognize that. He wants to save people, and he will, and he wants you. And the way that you do that is by sharing his word with them. Because, in fact, that same Romans passage, a couple verses before, Paul said, and how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How are they going to hear the message unless somebody tells them? The word of God will do its work, but the word of God can't do its work unless they've heard it. Does that make sense? The Word of God can change lives. It won't return void, but it won't work unless someone has heard it. So what is God saying to Jonah? Here, I've got a message. You give it to him. You let me take care of all the rest of it, but you just give him my message. That's what he says to you. I have a word that people need to hear. I just need you to share it. I'll take care of of changing their hearts and lives, but you need to share my word. That's what the difference is. And God has said that the way that that happens is through us. God could have wrote that message in the sky of Nineveh. It's only five words. He could have just wrote it in there. In 40 days, you guys are going to be overthrown. He could have done that. God's pattern is what he does is he uses people. He uses people. Acts chapter 8, 9, and 10, it tells about people whose hearts were moved, but God changed their lives when he took people to them with the word of God that shared the word, shared the truth, and those people's lives were changed. It's still the pattern today. God could use, but he's chosen in our lives that we are plan A. And he doesn't show us a plan B. That there are people in your sphere of influence that need to know about God, need to be pointed to him. And he says, listen, I want them. I, salvation comes from me. I want them to know salvation. You have the word. You've been saved. Now you take my word to them and you let me do the rest of the work. I read this quote from J.D. Greer this week. And I thought it just jumped off the page to me. Jonah is what stood in the way of Nineveh's forgiveness. Their sin wasn't the obstacle. Jonah's failure to get them the word of God was. The the truth is, their sin, all of us are sinners. That wasn't what was keeping them from God. It was that they didn't hear the word, the message. And Jonah's first response of no was keeping them from hearing that message. Do, Do you realize God says there's a message your friends need to hear, and I want you to be the messenger. You have the word. Now share that with them. I I I read just give you some some ideas. A, a young man said that what he does, he's got friends that need, he goes through, and as he's reading his Bible and he sees a verse about salvation or about God's grace or mercy, he'll write it on a three-by-five card. And then as he's talking to a friend that needs, that, that's wanting to, he'll, he'll hand him the card, let them hear the word. And then he says, here, read this, think about this for a while, and then we'll talk about it later. And he just leaves them with the word of God. There's, there's options like this. We have, we have some tracks available that just have the Word of God that just help. And, and it, again, not just throw some, a track at them, but here, read this, and then let's talk about it. Or you send, a, send a devotional. They could read every day and then talk to them. What did you get? What did you hear about that? The point is this. It's not your cleverness that's going to change anybody's life. It's the Word of God. But God says, I want to get the Word of God to other people through you. God wants to use you to make a difference in people's lives as you share His Word so that they can hear it and, and respond to it. So you got neighbors, you got friends. God says, listen, give them the word, pray for them, and let me do the work in their hearts. But I'm asking you to give them the word, to share that with them. All right, so there's one last thing as we wrap this up. We've talked about a mulligan, we've talked about the message. We can't leave this passage without talking about the mercy of God. The overboard mercy of God is just, just floods this whole, this whole passage. The fact of this, this entire city being turned back to God. And in fact, verse number 10, 
after those people, they sackcloth ashes, they cried out to God. When God saw what they, had, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God literally took what, what could have been the destruction and in his mercy, he, he forgave them. In mercy, he, he, the word that he uses is he relented. I, I read a quote today that I thought was very interesting as I was studying this passage. I, I don't know who gave it. I just thought it was, it's actually a part of Habakkuk, chapter number three. It says, in the midst of wrath, God remembers mercy. Divine love is rendered conspicuous when it shines in the midst of judgment. The greatest place you see mercy, God's mercy just shine is whenever someone that turns to Christ realizes I'm a sinner and my sin is deserving of death, but God's mercy gives me new life. You, you can't see mercy any clearer than that. And that's, you see a city of Nineveh and their wickedness, and yet in God's mercy, he chose to, to forgive them to, in their, their repentance. We know two things about this. God sees a change of heart. We see that in this passage. He said when God saw what they did, but he didn't just see their actions. That, that, that wasn't that God was seeing what was going on. He saw what their repentant heart, which is something that we couldn't know. Psalm chapter 51, David said, the sacrifice God desires is a broken spirit. He said, God, you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. God sees what we need. And when we turn, God's mercy is amazing. And that's the last thing is God responds to genuine repentance. The word relent, some translations use the word repent. And so some people have a little trouble with that. Does that mean God changes mind or that, because in our eyes, repent means God was doing something wrong and now he's not. The word repent also, the word relent, also means respond. It literally means to respond in compassion or pity. What we have is God, his heart is, as he says in 2 Peter, that he's not willing that any should perish. He, his goal was not to, I, ooh, let me wipe out these wicked people. Why, if so, why did he give them 40 days? He could have just wiped them out, but he gave them 40 days so that they would have that space to repent. That's how God works. God in his love and mercy gave them an opportunity. They repented. And so in what God did, he responded to that repentance with his mercy. And that God will still do the same. As we said today, maybe at some point in life you turn left and you should have turned right. You've made some mess. Maybe you found yourself in a place you're not sure we'll ever be qualified to. And God wants to say, listen, I respond to genuine repentance and in Jonah's case and in Nineveh's case, that repentance brought the mercy of God. In fact, here's what I know. There's many of you in this room, perhaps all of us, but I know a vast majority, you've experienced the mercy of God at some point, repeated points in your life. For many of you, there was a point when you realized you were a sinner and you needed a Savior and you called out to God and he, his mercy came to a person who didn't deserve it and he forgave you of your sins and he gave you eternal life. The mercy of God is real in you. And, and this mercy still flows in your life because you've, you've made mistakes since then. You've sinned since then. And God's mercy is still real to forgive and to restore. God's mercy still flows for us today. I, I want to end with a passage from Paul in the New Testament. Who was he, he ended up being a famous guy, but he started very similar to us. He was a sinner who needed a Savior and God changed, saved him and changed his life. And here's how he tells a part of his story. First Timothy chapter number 1. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength. He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I didn't deserve any of this. He said, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He goes on in verse 14, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. That, that's our testimony, that God in some point looked down in mercy and, and we said, I don't deserve this, uh, I deserve anything but this, but God's mercy, God's grace came and he, he saved us when we called out to Jesus. And so he goes on to say, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And then he ends with this beautiful statement of praise. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor 
and glory forever and ever. And all God's people who have ever experienced God's mercy can say, amen. God's mercy is still real. You want to talk about overboard? That's the mercy of God. Do we ever deserve it? Not on your life. But God's mercy was real enough to save us. It's real real enough enough as we walk through our life. My question today is, has there been a point in your life when you recognize your need of God's grace and mercy and you repented of your sin and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and God has saved you? Or are you, as a follower of Christ, has there been a point when you've turned and you've ran away or you've strayed from where God and you're saying, God, I need your mercy? Can I tell you, you're breathing? God's still got a plan for your life. God's not done with you yet. His mercy is still available to make a change in your life. Let's bow our heads today. Father, we've heard a powerful story about a a man who experienced incredible second chance. And he goes and he preaches to a city and the city's repentance allows your mercy to flow even greater. So God, we find hope in that today. We find hope that wherever, whoever we are, wherever we've been, whatever we've done, we can turn to you and we'll find that your mercy is still real. And I pray that you're, you're speaking that message to somebody today. I pray that if there's one here that's not yet received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, that they'll realize that they need mercy, as Jonah did, as the city of Nineveh did, the people there, and they will say, God, forgive me. I I know Jesus died for me, and please forgive my sins and save me. And they'll cry out to your mercy. For that that believer who strayed, that's walked away, and they that the enemy wants to make them believe they just it's hopeless. They might as well just give up. God, just help them to turn to your mercy and find hope. And Lord, remind us of those people in our life that need to know this hope of Jesus. And give us the courage to tell someone this week the message of God's love, the message of God's mercy, the message of hope through Jesus Christ. Lord, you've called us. Help us now to use our mouths, use our lives to tell someone, to give someone the word of God that can change their lives now and forever. Father, please speak to our hearts. Their heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just a moment, Paul's going to sing to us about that altar that God calls us to. So we'll take this time as we do every Sunday. There's a time you can pray to God. You can pray right there from your seat. I understand that. But from your heart that you would come to the altar of God and you'd call out to him. And maybe you would like to come and let someone pray with you. Today you want to know what it is to receive the mercy of God and his forgiveness and his gift of salvation. We would love to show you what that looks like.